I'm following on from Ben was speaking a couple of weeks ago about Acts 4. Um, and so I'm following on from that. I'm actually going to reread a couple of the verses that he um, used because it then puts it back into context of the passage that I've got this morning. So we're going to start with Acts 4:33. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? Um, I've lost it, sorry. Um, That you lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Now, having grown up in church, I've heard this story lots of times and it's actually, I grew up with it being quite a scary passage. You know, this, this was something to be slightly scared about. But I think I've learned over the years that assumptions that we make as we read the Bible are dangerous and often lead us quite a long way astray. And I think that's what's often happened with this passage. I managed to do it recently. I went out for coffee with a friend. Hadn't seen her for ages. Was really looking forward to it. She'd sent me an email saying, yeah, meet me at at, uh, Boston Tea Party, White Ladies Road. Great, all fine. I thought, brilliant. I'm meeting someone else later that day, just six doors down at Lona on the Gloucester Road, no problem. 
So, of course, I turn up at Boston Tea Party, Gloucester Road, and she's not there. Check the email again. Ah, she said White Ladies Road. The thing is, when we were chatting about it, when we did manage to get together, um, both of us had kind of heard the word Boston Tea Party and we had gone for our default position of Gloucester Road, White Ladies Road. My assumption is certain people here I know, when I, they say that, they mean Cheswick Village. Some people, it will be Gloucester Road. This particular friend, I've now found out, her default is White Ladies Road. But we do these things all the time. So I'd like to look at this passage again this morning because I think many of us have made some assumptions about this. I was taught that this passage was all about we should live holy lives because otherwise something bad might happen to us. And I was chatting to someone, they said, I've even preached that sermon. But I think when I looked at it again, it doesn't actually say that God killed them. Nowhere in this passage does it say that. So let's start again. Let's look at the passage and try to look at it with fresh eyes. Um, This is very, very early in the history of the church. Pretty much every single person in that church would have been Jewish. They were still meeting in the temple grounds in many ways. They had a history of knowing that the temple showed that God was out there, God was separate, God was different from us, God was holy. If you went behind that curtain, you would be killed. That was their picture of God. That was their understanding of what was going on. What we see, though, is that God is working powerfully when we look at verse 33. He was providing for the poor. It was much more personal than we see in that Jewish view of God that was so prevalent amongst the church at the time. When we read about them sending land, selling land, land wasn't just a possession. It wasn't just a thing. This was their pension fund. This was what made sure that they had food for the following year. So it was an ongoing income, a source of food. Selling it was actually a real sense of trust in God that he was going to provide. More so than many of us with our possessions today, particularly our spare stuff. Then we come to Ananias and Sapphira. We know nothing about them other than what we read here. So we know very, very little about them. We don't even know, were they actually believers? Or were they just people that had seen this group coming together and they wanted to be a part of it and saw that selling some land and giving some money was a part of being part of that? We don't know what their view of God, we don't know what their relationship with God was. So they sold the land. And we'd seen that this is what was providing for the poor, this is what was giving a real sense of provision and family and community to these new believers. And I I thought through, you know, well, why might they have sold that land? Why might they have done that? 
they might have just wanted to be generous. They could see a need and they could do it. You know, that's, that's a good, good thing. Yeah, I can, I can meet that need. It might be that they actually needed to sell the land because they needed some money for some reason. But the land provided them with more money than they needed, so they chose to give some of it to the church. It might be that they wanted to be seen like Barnabas. It might be that they wanted to please God. We don't know what their reasoning was, but too often we read these passages and we read our cultural assumptions into them. They then kept some of that money. And that was their choice. God didn't dictate to them one way or the other. Um, It may be, as I said, they may needed to have paid the debt. They may have had a roof that was leaking. They may have been scared of the future and just needed to keep some to protect themselves. They just may not have wanted to be quite that generous. We don't know, but they chose to keep that money. And at no point in the passage does it actually say that that was wrong. And I think we sometimes think we've got to behave exactly like other people. He, you know, they maybe wanted to be like Barnabas. Maybe they wanted to be seen to be doing the same thing. But we don't know what their motivation was. We don't know what's going on. So let's not judge them too harshly right from the word go. Then they met Peter. And Peter confronted them with the lie that they had told, or Ananias with the lie that he had told. And he said, basically, you've lied to God as well as to us. And Ananias dropped dead. (laughs) That's scary. And when as a child you're told, if you lie, this is what might happen to you, you know, that's very scary. (laughs) But actually, is that what this passage is about? Is that what Is that the God that we worship? And it is possible that God killed them. But it doesn't say it. And I was chatting with a friend, and we were just batting this passage backwards and forwards, and just, you know, so why else might they have died? If they didn't die because God killed them, why else might they have died? And she just turned around and she said, what was their view of God? And I suddenly thought, actually, their view of God was probably incredibly scary. Their view of God was that if they did something wrong, he would smite them. He would wipe them out. And that was potentially part of their their background, their upbringing everything they'd seen in the temple. The thing is, I always have to come back to a general principle that I have. If I want to know what God is like, I look at Jesus. This is my way of trying to work out, am I understanding the Bible right or not? 
John 14 verse 9, Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. When we get to Hebrews, the writer to Hebrews in 1 verse 3 says that Jesus is the full revelation of God. He's the exact representation. So when I was looking at this passage, I kind of went back and went, okay, I'm not sure I'm understanding this right. What did Jesus, what would Jesus do? How did Jesus deal with someone who lied to him, lied about him? All four Gospels record what happened towards the end of Jesus' life, in the trials, and Peter turned around and three times said, I don't know him. I don't know Jesus. He even called down curses upon himself in Matthew's account of it. That's to strengthen the lie in in Jewish community. That was a big deal. You would have expected that to have, you know, brought down the lightning bolts in that culture. Jesus could hear Peter saying that. Because in one of the responses, in one of the Gospels, it actually says, you know, that Jesus looked at Peter and Peter went away ashamed. So we know that that happened. One of Jesus' closest friends, at the time that Jesus needed him the most, lied to him. And how did Jesus respond? Only a couple of weeks later, we see, and the Sea of Galilee, it's recorded in John 21, Jesus came to them, found a huge catch of fish for them. They'd been out all night fishing, got nothing. Jesus then comes to him, and Peter sees him across the water, gets so excited that he jumps out of the boat, into the water, runs to Jesus. And Jesus really points out, not only is he forgiven, but actually, I'm providing for you. Gives him breakfast. You know, he has social time with him. He has relationship with him. And he then reinstated him and basically said, go out, look after this lot. Look after my church. Is that the same picture as we think of God when we think of Ananias and Sapphira? And I think we should be. This is the true picture of how Jesus, how God deals with him. The thing is, with Ananias and Sapphira, they were looking at God and they were expecting the Ten Commandments. Do not lie. It's nice and black and white or chiseled in stone. You know, it talks about the temple with the curtain. You can't come close. And actually, they were worshipping God from afar. And I think the contrast between Peter and between Ananias and Sapphira is hugely telling in why we should be living holy lives, why we should be responding to God. Peter, he knew 
that forgiveness. He knew that Jesus loved him. He had lived in relationship with Jesus. And he responded in a way that said, I love you. And actually, I'm sorry. And I want to still be in relationship with you. I want to live my life holy. I want to live my life right. Because I know you, Jesus. Ananias and Sapphira, you get the impression that they were much more like, I've done something wrong, that's it. End of. There is no way back from this. And they were worshipping God. They were bringing their gift out of a place of fear, I believe. Out of a place where they didn't have that relationship with God. And I want to worship God out of a place of intimacy and relationship. I want to know that when I am not leading a holy life, when I have made that mistake, when I have lied, when I have done all those other things that we do, that actually I can come back to Jesus. But the difference is when I know I can come back to him because he loves me, I know that I want to live a life that is more Christ-like. I want to please him because I'm in relationship with him. I don't want to please him and be holy and live a good life because otherwise I'm going to be in trouble. I want to live that life that is full of his life and is Jesus-like and is holy because I want to please the one I love. It's a completely different motivation for living Jesus-like lives. You know, how do, how do we actually expect God to respond when someone's failed in any way? Here we're dealing with someone who's lied. Any way, literally any way. How do we expect God to do that? We see Barnabas, we see Ananias and Sapphira both doing the same thing, both bringing their money, both giving it to the church to provide for the poor. Good stuff. I believe they were doing that out of two different motivations. And I think that therefore, one was living a life out of a response of love. The other was living a life out of a response of fear. And it, it doesn't bring life. If we try and live lives that are good and are right and are not lying and are not cheating and are not doing anything else that, you know, is whatever we particularly find our weakness, then if we're doing that out of a sense of love, it's because we want to please. We want to be in relationship with Jesus. And that is a life-giving way to live. And very exciting. When Peter had lied, he was ashamed. Incredibly ashamed. You know, he turned away. He slunk away. We don't actually even know if he was at the cross. We don't know if he followed Jesus that far. 
what we do know is that Jesus forgave him. Jesus died for him. Jesus met him and fed him and restored him. And Jesus has forgiven each of us. He has died for each of us. He wants to restore us. He wants us to come to him and live those lives that he has made possible. He wants us to jump out of that boat and run to him because we are just so excited to see him even though we know we've failed him. And I don't want to live a life like Ananias and Sapphira out of fear of I've done something wrong and I'm now scared. And I can't come to God because I've done something wrong. No, I've done something wrong, therefore I can come to Jesus. I can come to God because he loves me. And because I know he loves me, I can do that. When we go on a tiny bit further, Acts 5, 13 and 14, I read it out earlier. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Okay, that's two completely contradictory statements right next to each other. Um, And I think actually what it's saying is that there were people that wanted to just come and be around the church. They wanted to be close. They wanted to see what the church was doing. And yet after this had happened, they kind of stepped back and went, actually, no, I don't want to be that close. I don't want to be there. And that's what makes me wonder if Ananias and Sapphira actually were in that camp. They were interested. They were wanting to know what was going on, but they weren't living out of that relationship with God. And then verse 14, more and more people believed in the Lord and were added to their number. These are the people who have responded. These are the people who have now come into a relationship with Jesus and who are wanting to live their lives out of that. Now, I believe the church should actually include both groups. I think we should be a church where actually it's great for people to come in and go, yes, I don't know what is going on there, but they've got something that I want. And like Ash said about Rich, You know, watching people's lives, seeing that relationship they have and going, yes, I want that. But it's important to understand that that's not something that should induce fear. It's something that should call us into relationship with the God who brings us to a place where actually we can live our lives in a way that is more and more like him because we are in relationship with him. And so just as I come to a close here, I think I want to leave us with a couple of questions. Um, You know, what is our view of God? Is my view of God that he's out there and he's separate and if I do something wrong, he's going to swat me like a mosquito? Or is my view of God actually... I love you 
I've screwed up, sorry. Can I come back and I'm in relationship with you? Different, different view of God. And it may mean that the behaviour is the same. We may want to please God and do things the same. But it's for different motivation. And I think our view of God makes a big, big difference on that. And therefore, you know, what is our motivation for leading a Jesus-like life? The next question, are we leading Jesus-like lives? Because actually sometimes we can get to that point where we know that Jesus has forgiven us. We know that he loves us anyway. And we can then kind of let some of that living right lives just go to one side a bit. Are we living lives that are Jesus-like? So we're now going to come to a time where we're going to worship. The band's going to come back. Um, and look at Jesus. Look at God. Worship him. This is the reason that we are to live holy lives. Not out of fear. Not because otherwise something's going to go wrong. And I think it's so sad that Ananias and Sapphira just didn't see that.